welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, former chronic illness sufferer turned trusted health practitioner. My passion is helping people to identify and address the root causes of their symptoms through my online business, Viva Natural Health. If you're struggling with confusing or stubborn symptoms that just won't go away despite your best efforts, then you're in the right place. If I can heal from a long list of symptoms and conditions, including cystic acne, hair loss, severe food reactions, and brain fog, then you can heal too. Stay tuned for weekly episodes that share expert guest interviews, Q&A, and solo episodes that are all intended to help you wherever you're at on your healing journey. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only, and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today I'm releasing a podcast episode that I was on. Lena Shampi released this in October 2022, I think, and I just thought it was a really great episode, so I want to share it with you all today. But definitely check out Lena's podcast. It is called Horizon, and she is French. And my whole interview was kind of dubbed, which was amazing um, that she does that because she wants to get a wide variety of practitioners on. So I was on her podcast talking all about histamine and your hormones and how mold and mycotoxins can play into that as well. A little bit more about my journey with all of those things, how I knew that I had histamine problems, finding out about mold. So I'm even deeper into my healing journey with that now that the episode has released. But yeah, really great episode, jam-packed with information. As I said, check out Lena's podcast and I hope you enjoy this one. Hello, Vivian. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really happy to speak to you today. <laughs> Hi, Lena. Yeah, this is the first podcast I've done in a while, as I've just been explaining. So I'm excited to be back. Yeah. This time in the interviewee seat. Yeah, and in the French one. <laughs> yes, I know. Oh, it's first time. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about hormones and histamines because we have so much to say about them. Um, so first of all, can you talk a bit about your personal experiences because you also had hormonal problems, but it appeared relatively late, like you were maybe 17, 18, and when you were actually doing too much according to your body, as if it was trying to say to you, mm, there's something wrong, calm down. So can you tell us a bit about, uh, more about that and um, what were you doing wrong? Well, in my story, when I've, whenever I've been interviewed or gone through my story before, I always say that my health issues started when I was like 17, 18. But actually looking back, I had some symptoms. I just wasn't really sick at that point. So growing up, I had a lot of uh, travel sickness, car sickness, and um, I would faint quite a lot and I'd be prone to nosebleeds, which now knowing that, I'm like, that's classic histamine issues. And now I know that I was living in a moldy, water-damaged house growing up. So even though I was, like, managing as a child, because I stressed my body so much when I was 17, 18, it was after I'd left school. Um, at school, I was quite active, so I was doing a lot of sports. So then leaving school, I was really not doing anything at all. So I thought I'd join the gym. It was, like, across the, um, the road from my house. So I was like, I'll join the gym. It was fun. Um, I started doing group fitness classes. So I just really enjoyed it at the end of the day. I know. After a long day of studying as well, um, when I was at college. And then I started to get compliments. I was never overweight at that point. But then people would compliment me, like, oh, you look really good. I actually felt healthier because I was moving my body for the first time in a while. And then I started to shift my diet. 
not to cut calories or put myself on any restrictive diet, but just the advice that I read in magazines at that time, it was kind of like eat um, cereal or bran, bran flakes for breakfast and he, eat these l- little snack packs with 100 calories in and have a, a salad, chicken, plain salad before you go to the gym. And that's definitely not enough food for a growing woman, a menstruating woman. So that's why my period stopped and my skin broke out in cystic acne, even though up until that point, I never struggled at all with my skin. I was really lucky throughout school years. And then just as all my friends' skins were clearing up naturally, my skin started breaking out and I struggled with acne for such a long time. It was my most persistent symptom, but I finally cleared it with everything that I've done and it's taken a while. But I lost my period, my hair started falling out and then I went to the doctors and he said that I got, I had PCOS, which doesn't run in my family, like something that I'd never really heard of before, even though he didn't ask one thing about my diet and lifestyle. He didn't ask me how much, he just thought because I looked healthy and young um, and I wasn't kind of crippled or anything like that. He thought I was totally healthy and fine. So he didn't question at all. He just prescribed me the birth control pill and said, this is kind of your only option. The other option is to just wait and see what happens. But because I wouldn't have changed anything, it would have just got worse. And with it being skin and her related symptoms mainly, I was very motivated to stop my symptoms. So I went on the pill First pill I had a really bad reaction to because it was a very high estrogen pill. And at the time, I didn't know that I struggled to detox estrogen. I've done my genetic since, and I have a, a genetic mutation that means that I don't get rid of estrogen as much, why I'm prone naturally to more estrogen dominance. <laughs> oh, yeah. But they never, they would never know to ask about that. And they're obviously not going to test your genetics on the NHS, the National Health um, Service. And then I swapped to another pill called Yasmin which I actually requested because I read that it was the best one I got for it too. acne. Yeah, <laughs> they were saying that it was the um, best one and it really did clear up my skin. Not for it me. It my hair. It didn't. No. Actually, I just a little um, break. I had like more than uh, 13 years of, um, of pill and nothing worked. <laughs> so it's, it is much more than just hormones. Yeah. So mine was very much hormone driven because my yeah. body was just in constant stress from what I was doing to it and my environment as well but there's so much more to acne than just the hormones so whenever someone goes on the pill and it doesn't help it's probably something related to the gut or some people like using topical products that aren't suitable but I stayed on that pill for about two years and the it made me bleed but that isn't a period as we we should um, be taught it's just a withdrawal bleed from a medication and my hair stopped shedding so much but it actually didn't grow hardly ever um I didn't have to really shave my legs my my whole body just slowed down whilst on that pill and then it wasn't until I went to um I worked in America for the summer doing like an American summer camp for kids and that was me working out all day long in this intense heat oh my god Um, trying to eat healthy in an American summer camp is very difficult so I was literally (laughs) eating like little bits of chicken and salad and potatoes And I just wasn't getting enough fuel in. So really depleted during that summer. I was getting symptoms of like blood clots. um, And I was getting severe cramp in my legs and pains because I was on the pill at the same time. And now looking back, I know that that was a potential blood clot. And that pill that I was on is very linked to blood clots. It's very dangerous, right? Yeah, there's a black box warning on it now. Um, People have died. There's lawsuits going on with um, Yas and Yasmin 
type pills. They're more of like this modern, newer formulations. So then when I came home, my health was just wrecked and I'd got severe food poisoning twice at that, at that um, camp. And I suspect that I might have contracted Lyme disease during that trip as well from either a tick bite in the camp because it was in Pennsylvania. So that northeastern area of the state is quite prone to Lyme disease. So either I was bit by tick and I didn't know or uh, when I was in New York City afterwards for a few weeks, I was bitten head to toe by mosquito and I did feel ill after after that the next day. Um, so it can be from any tick-borne um, it can be from any vector born. Yeah, spiders and everything. In, yeah, insects. So I got home. Um, I was reacting to everything. My stomach would bloat severely just after drinking water some days. And I just had zero energy. I couldn't even walk up the stairs at the end of the day. I was just so depleted. Even what a though summer. at that point, yeah, I'd start, I know, like, I was what age? Like maybe 20 years old, 19, 20. And I was going to be having like the best time of my life. But from there, the years following that, my health just declined it just got worse I was trying to heal my guts after reading more into this holistic type of health rather than the diet over exercise world I was really learning about nutrition and I went to visit a nutritionist and she tested my my guts um she she did some blood work she said that I was severely nutrient deficient and she helped me come off the pill and just said that that wasn't helping it was actually making the issue worse and was masking all of these symptoms so then aged, on my 21st birthday, I stopped taking the pill, but my health didn't massively improve for a while. My, my acne came back with a vengeance. My hair loss started again. I had a lot of post-pill symptoms. And then it really wasn't until the end of 2019. So this went on like up until a couple of years ago, and I'm 27 now for reference, that I just wasn't getting better. I got to the point where I was managing my symptoms but I had to be eating a really strict low histamine diet because at one point in that journey, I found that these high histamine foods, which we can talk more about, they were making me worse. I was reading to um, eat sauerkraut every meal and drink kombucha and eat um, avocados every single day. And it would actually make my skin worse. I was like, this just doesn't make sense. And then I learned about histamine and it all clicked. So I thought I'd found the answer at that point is was to just go on a low histamine diet for the rest of my life. But although I was managing symptoms with all of these supplements and gut healing protocols, um, and my, my period eventually returned after two years, and my skin got to the point where I could manage it with a really good skincare routine as well. But I was just like, this isn't normal to have to try so hard to be healthy. So I started to hear more about mold. And it was never something that I was taught about at college when I was studying nutrition, because I eventually studied as well after being really inspired from my practitioner. Yeah, it's a thunder case. Yeah. So I started to, whenever something comes in my path more than two to three times, I have to start noticing it and actually do something to investigate. Um, I really feel like it was a sign. So people on Instagram was talking about mold, um, specifically related to the histamine issues. Because my home, there was no visible signs of mold at all. And that's often the case. It's, it, can, it may not smell. You may not see a thing. It may not even be an old house. But mine was. It was built in like the 1890s or something, like an old Victorian, um, typical like northwestern England house. Yeah. And as I did a timeline, looking back when my symptoms got worse, that, that summer where I came home from America, 
I think it was that year that under the floor of the house, um, a pipe burst and flooded the crawl space under the house. Um, my dad, um, he's just like a handyman. He was just trying to sort it himself. Like he built it <laughs> water. He tried to dry it up. But for, that's why I think returning home, plus all of these other being on the pill, um, potential tick bite, food poisoning, um, working out too much that whole summer, I think that's just where things just exploded in terms of symptoms. And around the same time, my my parents were symptomatic as well. Oh, really? So they were living in the same house, but different symptoms. This can happen too. Yeah. My dad had random food allergies develop, kind of anaphylaxis to shellfish, peppers, chilies, randomly out the blue. He'd never had a food sensitivity in his life. Um, he started to get low red blood cells um, and low iron, which is very uncommon for a man because they're not losing blood or anything like that on a monthly basis. My mum, her asthma got worse. She'd had asthma previously um, and she developed um, autoimmune thyroid, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So everyone was ill from the same, um, the same reason, but all very different symptoms. But even in my clients now, because I work a lot with mold illness, just from my own experience, I've had to learn about it because I wasn't getting help anywhere else, really. Sometimes it's just the the female in the house that's sick. So let's say there's a married couple. The female's really sick and symptomatic from mold. And it has been shown that women are more sensitive um, to mold because we have smaller bodies often. We have um, more fat tissue. Even if you're lean, we naturally have more fat tissue than men. And fat is what holds on to mycotoxins. That could be why a symptom of mold exposure can be weight loss resistance. It can go the other way, but not being able to move, lose weight or putting on weight constantly can be a sign of mold because your, your body's trying to store the toxins away in your fat cells. A lot of women go to their partners and say, I think it's the house after doing research and their husbands think they're crazy. Yeah, because they may be fine. Sometimes men are symptomatic, but don't do anything about it. Women are usually like going to the doctors and investigating when they have these symptoms. But it can be that because of genetics, only 25% of the population are believed to have a gene that the body doesn't recognize mold as a, a dangerous thing. Really? So I think it's the HLA gene. I've, I've never tested that. Oh, yeah, I have tested that one. Um, it was positive, but it was a given anyway. How symptomatic I was from mold, yeah. there was no me testing. <laughs> um, so one in four people, when they breathe in mold, their immune system doesn't think it's dangerous. So it keeps it around. It doesn't get rid of it as fast as it should do. Whereas the other people, mold is harmful to everyone in certain levels. And it also depends on your overall health status or this yeah. toxic bucket. Yeah. If you lived a really healthy life and have pretty good genetics and have taken care of yourself and have a healthy gut and not really taken much many antibiotics you might be fine in that home however if your toxic or inflammation bucket is already three quarters full then that mold exposure can just tip it over the edge and you may not be able to heal until that has cleared yeah so what did and you I, do and your family do yeah so my family is still in the home which yeah, really? i uh, yeah, oh <laughs> the other thing I'm working on getting them um, remediated or resolved. At first, they were a little bit resistant to not believe me, but 
they felt a little bit attacked that I was saying it was like the house that I grew up in was unsafe, but it is. I've seen it on my labs. Like it was off the charts with mold um, because that time that I said end of 2019, I started hearing about mold and I went to seminars and I was, I did a test and it was just off the charts, um, off, off the charts high. Um, so I was already moving anyway the next year, but because of lockdown and everything, it got postponed to June, 2020. And with mold, you have to be in a low mold environment in order to heal. You cannot heal. And that's why I wasn't healing when you're still in the, the, the mold, in the water damage building. Yeah, it's getting so worse, I guess. Until 20, March, 20, uh, May or June 2020, when I moved into my new place, that's when my healing actually started. So even though I've been on my journey for over 10 years now, all, true healing t- took place at that point. And within a few days... I've got pictures, I've posted them online somewhere, of my eyes. They were, the day of moving, I took a picture, my eyes were bloodshot, they were red, they looked really sad and depressed. And then about two days later, they were bright blue, white, really clear, really healthy, happy looking eyes. And that was just that. A few days later, my brain started working again. And so many symptoms can be linked back to mold because it's known as the great mimicker. Just the way that it affects your immune system and inflammation and your hormones parts of my brain that control hormones were just suppressed my body didn't feel safe to ovulate and potentially have a baby even though I don't want one now that's what the menstrual cycle is for so even though I was bleeding every month I wasn't producing progesterone I wasn't ovulating and I really feel like mold caused my PCOS polycystic ovarian syndrome Mm. because of the way that it affects the metabolism um blood sugar levels um it stops progesterone levels so i was just in a constant state of inflammation despite me eating this clean diet and taking all of these supplements and doing quote everything right yeah so what can we do when we want you know when we when you have mold in the house do we have to move out or sometimes there are some uh, i don't know some mold specialists and what can we do well when i was researching like two three years ago a lot of what i was reading online from these bloggers or just random YouTube videos that I came across, it was all very scary because it was like, you need to burn everything that you own. You can't take anything with you. You have to, some people are literally camping in Arizona, like the driest state to heal. And I was like, I can't do that. It's just not realistic for most people. So back then it was very much like, you have to move, you have to get out. But after following along with certain people's journeys, it's very hard to find a zero mold environment, like just anywhere. There are countries that are better than others. There are building structures that are better than others. But me being in England, for example, we're on like an island and it's dark, it's it's wet, it's cold most of the year. And the, the buildings, a lot of them are old. But even with new buildings now, just the way that they're making them so energy efficient, they're not getting the proper ventilation and airflow so you're not necessarily safe in a new place um it's still something to be aware of but the risk is higher the older the building gets because pre- previous tenants could have had a, a water leak and just not resolved it properly so at least i'm aware of it now it's definitely been um, a blessing in disguise and i've mm. learned a lot yeah um, of course. but there are things that you could do other than move In my situation, I was moving anyway. So I bought new furniture um, because it's like my first home that I was moving into. 
So if you really don't like where you are or the mold is so severe, if you can literally see black mold on the walls and everyone in the house is ill and you want to move anyway, then I would recommend doing that. But if you really love where you are and if you, you test and you figure out that it's only like kind of isolated to one area, then there are remediation things that you can do. Um, and it has to be done properly though. And there are companies, um, I definitely know they're in the US and the UK called Pure Maintenance, and they do this essential oil fogging of the home. And I've had many clients do that and they test, they show you before and after levels how the mold uh, reduces, but it basically penetrates into the mycotoxin, the mold toxin, and just neutralizes it and kills it. So it's all completely safe, non-toxic, and I've heard good results with that. But I always say make sure that the source of the the mold has been cleared first because there's still a, of course, yeah, a roof logical. leak or um, a really damaged wet wall. I'd recommend removing that first and then doing the essential oil fogging mm. to make sure it's gone. But I'm very on top of like making sure things are well ventilated now, making sure humidity levels are low. So I use a dehumidifier. You can buy air filtration systems um, that are down to the HEPA, HEPA level, it's called, that really like this kind of minute um, particle size. I make sure that I have the windows open and let fresh air in. And yeah, you can check humidity or once a month now, I look under my sinks and just have a feel around, see if there's any wet patches. I'm very aware just to keep on top of things. At first, when I moved, I was like very, I had like PTSD from my yeah. experience. So I, I do not want to go through this again because I got rid of a lot of stuff. Um, I managed to take some things and just clean them really well, like my clothes and um, like really keepsake items. But yeah, there are there are things that you can do. So I'm I'm proof that you don't have to completely get rid of everything and just have the the shirt on your back type situation. And I've healed um, massively. I'd say I'm 95% better. I do have some lingering health challenges because of I was in that house for over 20 years. So mm. even though it's been like almost two years since I moved, it's not realistic to think that everything's gone. Yeah, so I have time. been left with some kind of mast cell related symptoms. So I am prone to higher histamine levels. I still need to watch my diet in terms of high histamine foods. And, and my nervous system is a little bit off. Um, my autonomic nervous system, so I am prone to dizziness too. So I have to be careful with that. But things like the, the weight gain, the chronic skin issues, the um, not ovulating problems, the severe brain fog and fatigue have all gone. Oh, that's and, wonderful. Yeah, mold was the, the biggest driver in my personal experience, but it's not everyone's. Yeah, but it's good to know because in French, we don't talk a lot, a lot about this. So yeah, that's what I wanted to. I had some questions about mold, but you answered it all. So the, that's great. <laughs> And um, I would like to talk about histamine intolerance because it's a thing that is beginning to be a little more known, at least in our country, but not so much yes, in France. And a lot of people do everything right and actually try everything and they still have acne or other problems. So my first question will be, what is histamine and how did you discover you had a problem with histamine? So histamine is a natural kind of chemical that our body makes. So it's not a bad thing. Our body makes it and it's actually useful for things like Um, immune function and kind of killing off infections, brain function, the motility of the gut. But as with everything, too much can cause issues. Not enough is a problem, too much is a problem. And people can be prone to high histamine for a number of reasons. Genetics is one which we can influence. Our genetics aren't set in stone and something that we can't change, we definitely can. But I've run my genetics and I do have some genetic, they're called SNPs or mutations, 
that just mean that when my body's out of whack, I am prone to higher histamine levels. So maybe I should manage my food and bring that down a little bit more. So histamine can come from inside. Things like bacteria make histamine as well. This is part of the reason why having bacterial overgrowth or parasite infections or yeast in the gut can also contribute to high histamine levels. And then external things, things like bug bites. That's the classic thing that people hear about. Like you get stung by a bee, you take an antihistamine to reduce the swelling. So that's what it's doing. Excess histamine in the body can create things like anxiety because it's needed for brain function, but too much causes this overreactive brain and you can't calm down. Things like insomnia and sleep issues as well because your brain's just on overdrive. And then because histamine's involved in the gut function too much, it can cause loose stools. So people with like chronic diarrhea might have an issue with histamine. Mine often went the opposite way. So it, it can be completely random person to person. But anytime there's symptoms in different body systems, I'm starting to think of maybe histamines involved in this. So when people say, I have some brain symptoms, I have some skin issues, I have some hormone issues, and I have some gut issues, we have to think what is tying them all together. And I work with more chronically sick people now, just from what I attract. And I'd probably say like 50% of them have some degree of histamine intolerance, or it can escalate to the level of mast cell activation syndrome, which is like, yeah, the extreme version of that. But the way that I found out is I just had these symptoms like itching. That's another one. Itching, redness of the skin. I would flush quite a lot. Um, I would have the digestive issues. Painful periods are another one. I know, I know you want to talk about the connection with hormones and estrogen in particular with histamine too. And I can't remember what first. I think it was just because I was reacting to specific foods. I knew that when I had alcohol, that was one of the first things to go when I cleaned up my diet. I was just like, this, I'm not actually enjoying this anymore, going out with my friends. So I cut out the alcohol and I noticed my um, rosacea. So I get like rosacea and breakouts and redness on my face and I'd be really anxious the next day and that cleared. So I was like, okay, alcohol is a no-go. Um, even things like lemon water though, citrus. When I would eat an orange or drink lemon water, I would get really itchy afterwards. Certain vegetables... Um, like tomatoes, avocado, and spinach. I, when I had a salad with any of those things, and I wouldn't feel good. I think I might have created a, a note on my phone with the foods that I was reacting to. And then over time, I just started to look at the commonalities between them. And it might have been when I was studying, we learned about nightshade foods um, for arthritis. We learned about FODMAPs for IBS. And then I think we might have learned about histamine, or I saw it online somewhere. And I was like, okay, that makes sense for me. So I challenged myself because there's no real gold standard way to test histamine intolerance. It's really difficult to test because histamine in the blood, if you test it, it needs to be checked there and then immediately. Otherwise, it all degrades. So if you're in, in a hospital, they can freeze it. They can, they can process the sample right away. But I wouldn't even bother doing that because it's still not 100% accurate. The best way I found is to do a histamine challenge. And anyone can do this. I have a couple of blog posts I'll send you the link to so you can put them in the show notes on histamine. I might need to update them because I wrote them like years and years ago. And I didn't know that mold was a big factor in my histamine intolerance at the time. But you could go on a lower, lower histamine diet 
I went to the extreme because I'm like a very extreme person. I'm like, I'm going to do this. So I'm going to cut pretty much all his, there's no zero histamine foods, but the highest foods out. And within a week, my chronic cystic acne pretty much cleared. And I've got like before and after pictures on my blog. And I, the blog title was, have I cleared my acne by eating less healthy? Yeah, yeah. Because I was, I stopped title. eating all of these fermented foods and I was meal prepping. So I was cooking something on a Sunday and then eating it until Thursday, trying to be really healthy and organized. And the, the more the food degrades, um, so when I was saying bacteria create histamine, when you cook something and then you put it in the fridge, um, the bacteria in there start to degrade it. And that's how food spoils, but that's how histamine increases as well. Especially thing, fish and meat, right? Fish, yeah, fish is the highest. So as soon as it's caught um, on, the, on the boat, it starts to degrade in histamine. So that's, yeah, that's one of the worst um, foods, especially like tinned fish, mackerel um, and salmon. People try to eat healthy and choose like tinned fish and they actually feel worse. They get migraines from it afterwards. Um, so yeah, I, I cleared my skin in the week and then I thought I'd found my answer, but then I was still not 100% right. And I was just missing all of these foods that I really loved. And I just knew intuitively it wasn't the answer just to cut all of these foods out forever. So that's when I started researching the root causes of histamine intolerance because I'm not a practitioner or a person who just wants to take a natural antihistamine for the rest of my life. Or if I've got painful periods, I don't just want to take an anti-inflammatory fish oil. I want to find out why it's happening in the first place because it's a, a sign of an imbalance. So if you're just taking a pill for a symptom, it's kind of doing what conventional medicine does. And we know that that doesn't work long term. So yeah, I, I investigated and I found initially that gut health was probably the biggest factor. And that led me to do round after round of gut protocol, trying to heal my gut, antimicrobials. And um, a, a, one thing that I did try early on was L-glutamine and bone broth. <laughs> bone broth is quite high in histamine, especially if it's cooked for like 48 hours, like a lot of it is. The really good, the good stuff, I would get these like amazing grass-fed but beef bones from my local farm and then I'd make it and then I'd get a severe migraine the next day but even L-glutamine I was just reading about leaky gut initially and I thought that was the another answer to all of my problems but I went in at like the last stage first so I went into like the gut repair stage and it's just like oh I need to eat more gelatinous foods and take L-glutamine and colostrum and that'll be good but I had all of these infections and parasites and mold in my system. So my gut was never going to heal because of that. So L-glutamine, I went in these high doses, like a teaspoon three times a day. And I got the most severe migraine ever. And I later learned that when you have mold exposure and sometimes high histamine levels just on its own, your glutamate levels naturally can be higher. And glutamate in excess is it's called excitatory so it can kill brain cells they kind of get too excited and they can they can die off that's how msg works and how people know msg can affect um, behavior and it's very addictive in the brain that's very high so that's monosodium glutamate and i did have an experience um about three years ago now on holiday i went to a thai restaurant and they must have used msg even though it's really nice healthy restaurant they used msg as a flavor enhancer 
and I had a seizure the next day. I was vomiting. I was passing out in the car and my brain just like turned off pretty much. So that was another another sign. Something is off. And for me, it had gotten past just the basic histamine intolerance world. If you're having seizures, if you're blacking out, if you're fainting, if you're having anaphylaxis, then it could have gotten to the more extreme version, which is mast cell activation syndrome, which still isn't that uncommon. I, I follow a few people in the, the world, um, like doctors who specialize in this area, and I'm pretty sure one of them said one in five people. At a push, it might have been one in 10, but it's still a lot of people have mast cell activation syndrome, and but it can manifest in so many different ways. So histamine intolerance is kind of just that your histamine bucket is overflowing. And it might be that you just need to reduce your red wine intake and spinach intake and chocolate intake. And then your your bucket, histamine bucket, is more balanced. So you can resolve it pretty easily and it's a little bit less complex. Mast cell activation syndrome is where your mast cells, so they produce histamine, it's the part of your immune system, are just very leaky. They just for the smallest trigger, they just spit out a ton of histamine. It can be as little as a change in temperature, or it could be, um, yeah, you travel, you you travel um, internationally. That could throw it off. But um, fluctuations in hormones can do so as well. Um, a lot of people, they find that after childbirth or during menopause, the allergy-type symptoms get worse. So that could be muscle activation, um, or yes, severe, more severe symptoms or more chronic symptoms kind of escalated to the, so it's more of a, like a, a cellular imbalance where the cells have just become disrupted. I still feel like you can resolve that, but it takes a little bit more work. Do you feel it is like a genetic thing or maybe because of mold? Um, probably both. Okay. So, it, so not it's everybody probably the has same that. genetics. Um, this kind of one in four people, uh, maybe one in five that just the body doesn't handle toxins well. We're like the canaries in the coal mine. We're responding very visibly to the the toxins that are affecting everyone. So yeah, I, I feel like all of these things, the autoimmune people, the, the mass activation people, the mold illness people are kind of all going to have similar genetics. But you can't change genetics, the blueprint, but you can change how your body responds So even though I still feel like I have some degree of mass activation syndrome, and it's something that I'm always probably going to have to pay attention to, I can very much manage my symptoms. Even I've still got a way to go in terms of being 100% symptom-free, and that's never go, that's going to be a journey. Um, you're never going to be perfect, but yeah, I've, I've seen people like go from severely chemically sensitive. They have to wear masks all the time, even before the whole global pandemic. Um, because they react to exhaust fumes and perfumes, uh, fragrances, and they can they can heal from that as well. It might take a bit longer, but yeah, it's just calming the immune system down. Would you just love to get your spark back? Well, great news. My brand new course, I'm Balanced, is currently open for enrollment. This gives you the opportunity to test your body and balance your minerals, which are the spark plugs to your body using my favorite functional lab test, Her Tissue Mineral Analysis, or HTMA. I know that you might be struggling with your energy, skin, hormones, or gut, but did you know that mineral imbalances could actually be a cause of those things? Meaning that if you don't balance your minerals, 
your other efforts won't fully work or give you long-lasting results. I love the HTMA as it's a super accurate and accessible way to see what's going on with your body. So many of us have mineral imbalances and issues with heavy metals these days due to things like food and air quality. But you need to know exactly which minerals and metals you're exposed to because two people could have the same set of symptoms and completely different imbalances. This is why I created this test and treat option with iMbalance. I wanted to get this test out to more people and also give you the tools to be able to interpret the results and make the necessary changes to rebalance things naturally. I only have so many hours in a day to see clients, so this will allow you to get all of my top mineral balancing strategies without working with me one-on-one. -on -one. I should also mention that you do get a complimentary HDMA test to use as part of this course. I'll only be opening this course up for enrollment a few times a year. So if you want to join as soon as possible, doors close end of this Sunday, the 12th of March. Investment for Iron Balance is just £347. This is actually cheaper than my one-to-one -one clients would pay for one session and lab test with me. And this way you can have the information to help you and your family for the rest of your life. I really don't want you to miss out on this amazing deal. So check the link in the show notes now. Or if you're listening to this at a later date, keep your eyes on my website and Instagram for when it's open for enrollment again. I can't wait for you to get rebalanced, but let's get back into the show for now. Yeah, it's very interesting to know your experience and your level of, uh, you know, of sensibility. But it's a bit like uh, very scary in a way, because sometimes like uh, we can see that you try everything and it's over and over, you know, it's like you can... You can spend like 10 years searching for a solution. So in that case, what can you do? Do you try to start with a, a good repair protocol and maybe the entire instamine food for a few weeks? Yeah, always start basic. I'm talking because I, I really wish that I'd heard about mold sooner. Yeah, of course. So I, I don't want to just jump to it right away with everyone. New clients come to me and they might struggle with migraines. And right off the bat, I'm thinking maybe mold maybe a muscle activation, but it might just be that they're not sleeping enough or drinking enough water. Exactly. So yeah. Start with the basics. Make sure that you're eating healthy foods, home cooked and organic as much as you can. Make sure you're hydrating. Make sure you're managing your stress as well as you can do. Um, have a bit of an experiment with the histamine foods. It could just be that because you're stressed and a bit out of balance at the moment, you're overdoing it to what your body can tolerate in terms of histamine rich foods. So those people are great. But I'm not seeing those people with my clients. So my clients have already done, they've already Everything. worked with practitioners. They've done different things. Um, so we often jump to these more complex investigations and recommendations right away. Um, but most people don't need to do that. Yeah. And so uh, can we talk about the things to exclude from uh, your diet uh, regarding the antihistamines interference? And there are lists online. I think the one that I've compiled on my blog post is probably the most accurate because some of them are just like pretty much any food that you can think of is on the histamine list and some aren't complex enough Yeah, it's, because it's some foods are histamine liberators. So they're not directly high in histamine, but they can trigger your body to make histamine itself. So it gets a little bit confusing, but everyone, so there are foods that are higher than others just on paper. But your body might not react to them as much. So it's very individual, but you would probably be best starting off with the highest on the on the list. So that's going to be um, things like fish, as we've spoken about before, um, leftover foods. So try to, especially with meat and meat products, animal products, 
cook and eat as freshly as you can or freeze them. Freezing really slows down the um, degradation of the food. Alcohol, anything with vinegars, um, anything that's fermented or aged. So cheese, blue cheese, um, alcohol. Tempeh, kombucha. Yes, all of those like seemingly healthy foods. Start with those first if you're overdoing it. And then you might want to experiment with these other um, histamine liberators or um, citrus fruits. Dark chocolate is another one. Um, sometimes the, the vegetables like spinach and tomatoes and um, there's a whole list. So you can read that yourself. Um, but yeah, the food is only one aspect. There are other things that can trigger histamine too. Um, and the good thing is that if it is histamine, you should notice a difference pretty quickly. It's not something that you're going to have to do this histamine um, challenge, this little diet. It's not something that you're going to have to do for three months before you notice a difference. If it is a histamine problem, you should notice some change within a week or two. Yeah, and I actually noticed with people who really want to heal uh, is that they tend to do this kind of elimination diet for too long. Mm. But like restriction is good for a few months, but not longer, uh, right? Because you can be like, um, you can get accommodated otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, you get deficiencies, your gut microbiome um, diversity shrinks because you need all of these different foods to feed all of these different good bacteria in your body. So elimination diets serve a purpose, I agree. I have a new client now who's been on this low FODMAP diet for such a long time and he was just told to stay on it just to manage symptoms but it's not even working and he wasn't given any other recommendations. But the more that you restrict the harder it can be to heal. At one point, I was down to like five, 10 foods. Yeah, it's, and it's depressing. I, so yeah, it's like counterproductive. And it's harder to reintroduce them back in because your body yeah. forgets how to digest them and you become scared of food. So food fear is a big thing. And so go into this, if you're going to do an experiment with, with a positive mindset and be excited rather than, fear. oh, it's not working, so I need to do it harder. I need to cut out more and more foods. And how many weeks or months can you do an elimination diet? Um, the histamine one? Yeah. Um, well, I will say that my diet has been lower histamine for a few years now. So since I found out about the mold, so maybe like three years, I've not eaten those and I've limited the, the alcohol. I am, I'm more diverse now with my diet. So I'm very careful to choose foods that I can tolerate and that are nutrient dense. But yeah, it's not ideal long term. I don't want to be on, I don't want to have to um, reduce them. But, but, but maybe for just the average person who's trying it out, maybe two to four weeks. Okay. If they're yeah. doing it on their own. Yeah. If mm. they really see a difference, they know that it works or the practitioner is guiding through them, um, then maybe longer. Because it can, it, for some people, it is night and day with the symptoms. The migraines that they've had since they were 10 years old start to improve from that. But it's not the food that's the issue. It's your body. It, something's off in the body. So doing a low histamine diet, you have to, at the same time, be working on the root causes. Because if you just go on a low histamine diet, don't do anything, and then try to bring the foods back in, it's probably going to be the same. You're probably still going to react However, if you reduce the food, yeah. heal the problem, then it's much more likely that you can add it back in. And how do you find the problem? Is it often linked to the gut? A lot of the time, because that's where your immune system lives. 70 to 80% of your immune system lives in the gut. And histamine and these mast cells are from the immune system. 
So we have to think, even with autoimmune conditions, even if it's something that's happening in the thyroid, it's an immune system problem. So you have to fix the the bulk of the immune system, which is in the digestive tract. Yeah. And um, just before changing a bit of the subject and talking more about the gut, the good news is that they are also antihistamine food, right? Yeah, What are they? exactly. So again, they're all on the, the thing. I've, I've not gone through it in a while, but um, things like cucumbers and ginger and fresh herbs like coriander or cilantro, um, basil, um, what are some weird ones? Capers are randomly antihistamine, anything high in quercetin, red onions, apple skins, and um, certain herbal teas like nettle are really good as well. Do you think that, uh, like for example, a globally uh, normal healthy people could like maybe do two weeks of uh, low histamine just to be uh, healthier or? No, I don't think there's not, there's not a point. There's not a reason to if they're healthy. Yeah, it's not, it's not something for everyone to do, but if they're symptomatic, especially with the symptoms that I mentioned before, then I think it's worth a try. Yeah, yeah. Do some probiotics can develop the level of histamines in your yeah. body? Yeah, and that's one thing that I did as well. Another mistake, I was, I learned about leaky gut and gut health. So I started taking these random probiotics from my health food shop and it made me worse. It made me more itchy, it made my skin worse. And I was thinking that I was just getting a detox reaction. I thought I need to push through, something's happening. I'll just stick with it and it wasn't the right thing. There are certain strains. Um, I think the one ending, it's like Lactobacillus casei is one that you need to be careful with. Um, but a good antihistamine strain is Rhamnosis. And I really love these spore-based probiotics as well. They're the ones that I typically stick with because I find that they're most tolerated and they yeah, help to change the microbiome for the better so that histamine is naturally lower. Yeah. So are there some good like um, uh, supplements for antihistamines to repair a bit? Or is it linked to the gut? It depends on the, the causes of the histamine problems in the first place. Someone's root cause might be just that they're nutrient deficient because you need certain nutrients to create the enzymes that get rid of histamine in the gut and the liver. So there's an enzyme in the gut called DAO, diamine oxidase, you need certain nutrients like copper and vitamin C to actually make that enzyme. And you also need to have a healthy gut environment to make that enzyme as well. So this is how things like SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth and parasites can contribute to histamine intolerance. Not only are they themselves high in histamine and produce it, they also kind of damage the enzymes in the gut that get rid of histamine too. And then there's another enzyme in the liver called HNMT a histamine and methyltransferase that also requires a ton of nutrients, vitamin C, um, selenium, all of these things. So a simple nutrient deficiency could be enough. There's even been studies with um, magnesium deficiency. Those with magnesium deficiency often have higher blood levels of histamine. And I think it's well known that vitamin C is a natural antihistamine as well. So those two basic things, you might just need to up your intake of those. So they're the supplements that you would go for. Food always first. Make sure you're changing your diet to try to get it in because it's way more recognized from your body. But then someone else's root cause could be that they have mold. Mm. So first thing would be to try and resolve the breathing toxic air in. So either moving, remediating, air filters, um, spending more time outside if it's minor um, might be enough. And then supplements might be things like glutathione and binders 
and antifungal herbs to get rid of the mycotoxins from the body. Mm. And then someone else's might be because of stress. Stress increases histamine. Yeah, it increases so they might everything. Need, <laughs> they might need more magnesium, adrenal support. They might just need to like chill out more and manage the stress. They might not even need supplements in the first place. So you can see like it really depends, but the conventional supplements that you would hear about for histamine intolerance would, would be things like the DAO enzyme. You can actually take that. I've really seen it's hit and miss for people. Some people don't notice a difference at all. Some people do, but it's quite expensive as well. Or um, quercetin, you can take that as a supplement, vitamin C. Um, you can take things like stinging nettles, um, another antioxidant formula like rutin is in there. Um, what's another one? N uh, I've said nettles. Um, yeah, a whole range, a lot of herbal plants are naturally antihistamine as well. Yeah, no, that's great to have some answers and some possibility uh, to try. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so let's talk a bit about the let's talk a bit about the gut. Uh, so because for the gut to be healthy, we need a good balance of bad and good bacteria. Mm -hmm. And um, why bad bacteria are often more developed than they should be? Is this uh, why some people have trouble eating vegetables and fibers? Can be, yeah, it can be purely diet related. Um, so people just aren't having a diverse diet, or they're eating lots of artificial sweeteners and bad fats. And things like gluten can damage the gut and cause inflammation in a lot of people. It could be that they're not eating enough plant foods. Um, it could be that they're not eating a diverse range of foods. And it can shift pretty quickly. And I think they've done studies, people just eating um, McDonald's and junk food. And then they go over to like a plant-based diet. And the microbiome can shift quite quickly with that. So it's not something that's set in stone. However, how you come into the world is another factor because if you come into the world um, natural birth then you get exposed to all of this um, beneficial bacteria from the vaginal canal of your mother and then breastfeeding you get all of these probiotics from the breast milk and immunoglobulins and nutrients um, too so if someone is c-section birth then the the bacteria that colonizes the gut is that from the surgeon's hands the hospital environment so it's not as a diverse Um, bacteria from birth but you can still change it and then antibiotic use is another one so antibiotics pretty much just kill everything good and bad and people are giving them like candy these days for like viruses they don't even work for viruses the antibacterial um, products and even medications like the birth control pill and um, people taking things like um, antacids so stomach acid blockers ppis they can disrupt the acids, uh, acid balance, which keeps bacteria in check. Two, stress is another one. Oh yeah, um, big one. <laughs> yeah. So that depletes your good bacteria and increases the growth of bad pathogenic bacteria as well. They're probably the top yeah. um, causes of poor gut health. Yeah, and a big problem is the malabsorption of nutrients. Sometimes you are super healthy, you eat tons of healthy foods, but you don't assimilate them. So how can you change that? Um, mindful eating is number one. So if you're eating on the go, you're chewing your food twice and swallowing it, you're on your phone doing work at the same time as you're eating, you're not even going to absorb and benefit from that food that you're eating in the first place. That's like number one. Before you even consider a digestive enzyme supplement or a histamine restricted diet, start there. Start with the basic things. Um, but you can take digestive enzymes, not just the DAO, but like a broad spectrum Enzyme actually just takes the, the pressure and stress off your gut and allows you to digest 
um, the nutrients that you're eating, or you can maybe um, yeah try things like bitters, digested bitters, um, like a nice herbal blend that stimulates things like your gallbladder. But it really is about clearing the infections if you can. You can eat easier to digest food. So maybe if your gut's really compromised and you're really struggling to absorb food, you wouldn't want to go with like big, huge bowls of salad, raw foods, nuts and seeds, um, grains and vegan proteins. You need that really easy to digest animal products and um, soups, stews, smoothies, um, just kind of mashed pureed foods just to help your body absorb the nutrients like a like a child you wouldn't go straight to giving them real um big meals you would start slowly nice soft foods but yeah the mindful eating digestive enzymes can help but ultimately there's a reason that you're not digesting your food and unless it's stress then it's probably some sort of infection that's getting in the way of you absorbing your food because with something like SIBO which is directly linked to histamine intolerance but you have to go about it in a way um you have to kind of prepare to to get rid of SIBO otherwise it just comes back but it's a bacterial overgrowth in the small intestine so they're not bad bacteria they're just in the wrong location they should be living in the large intestine primarily however they've translocated they've moved for a number of reasons and they're just interfering with the gut that should be a pretty sterile place, the small intestine, because that's where we absorb our food. So if you've got all of these bacteria there, you can imagine that they're just going to get to your food and steal it before you even absorb it yourself. And how do you know if you have SIBO? You can test, but the test, no test is like 100%, so I always say that. And sometimes I just go based off symptoms. There is such a link with IBS. I think 70 to 80% of people with IBS, so constipation, diarrhea, um, alternating, bloating, um, any upper digestive symptoms, you can pretty much guarantee that they have SIBO. But there is a test that you can do. There's a breath test, but that's not 100% accurate. It can be quite expensive. So there are options. And sometimes stool tests can indicate bacterial overgrowth as well, because if most of the bacteria are just really high in the large intestine, then you can be certain that they're also high in the small intestine too. And a lot of people like me don't have enough acidity to digest correctly. Mm -hmm. So how can you correct the acidity of your stomach and help your bile flow? Yeah. So actual low stomach acid can cause symptoms of high stomach acid. Things like reflux yeah. <laughs> is a common one. Um, it can also be a common sign of histamine issues as well, though. High histamine levels can cause acid reflux. So a lot of the time um, people have these bacterial overgrowths, again, especially in the upper gut, if they have bacteria in the small intestine or the specific bacteria in the stomach called H. pylori, that can shut off your stomach acid production or SIBO can kind of push all of this gas back up and you feel it coming up your throat. So you want to clear those infections and the treatment to H. pylori versus SIBO versus parasites is a little bit different, but you have to remove the stress from the body because When your body's in fight and flight mode, your rest and digest mode gets turned down. It's like if you were being chased by a saber-toothed tiger while you're eating lunch, there's no way you're going to be absorbing that food. So you have to be in one state or another. That's why I'm saying mealtimes, you need to be in that state. You have to do deep breaths, separate yourself from work for at least 15 minutes to sit there and digest your food. And stress, when I say that, it comes under a big category. Most people just think of mental stress and they're like, mm, I'm fine, like work's good. But there's physical stresses, 
like eating gluten if you're sensitive to it or massively overeating histamine foods if you're reacting to it at the moment or living in mold is a stress. So that could shut off your stomach acid production as well. So you want to fix all of those things first and then consider for a period of time, you might want to try stomach acid support as a supplement with betaine HCL or hydrochloric acid. But you want to rule out the H. pylori and any ulcers, any inflammation first. So it probably is best done through a practitioner. But I was personally on HCL for like two years because it just helped me so much. And even though your body should be able to make digestive enzymes on its own, if it's compromised and it has low resources and just low energy in general, it's not going to put all of this energy into making this strong digestive fire if your your bowels and your brain are, are low on energy. Yeah, I have been taking those two um, uh, like for a year now, and I like yeah. it. I don't have a problem, and uh, yeah. I digest well. And especially, but if you were to, if you were to stop them, would you still have it? I don't know, and maybe uh, th maybe that would be the time to try. Mm. Just uh, maybe just for a few days to see if uh, it changes something. Because if it's still there, then you haven't fixed the cause. Mm. Yeah, good point. So uh, just let's go back a bit about the sport. What kind of sport do you do now? Did you reduce it? And how can you know if you're pushing your body too far? For example, uh, what can you do if you like doing intensive HIIT training? Um, does that mean that you should do less because you're a woman? And especially if you already had hormonal problems? Mm. So now I am back to training maybe three to five times a week. And I really love strength training. But in order to heal, because of how sick I was, I went for a number of years without doing it because it was just too much for my body, which was really sad because I, I love exercising. I love moving my body. But in order to speed up the healing process, I had to dial it back because mm. I think my body, ha is, again, had some sort of PTSD from me overtraining for so long. And that's what triggered a lot of my issues. So every time I'd step back in the gym, I think my body would just kind of get inflamed and stress. Yeah, I also um, did that. And yeah. I get a lot of, of injuries, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you have to listen to your body and look for signs of overtraining or just not recovering quick enough. So ideally, you should feel energized and good after a workout. And the next day, you might be a little bit sore, especially if you try something new or um, you push yourself a little bit harder. But if you're... If you hate what you're doing, if you're um, really exhausted after and for three days after and you're really sore, you keep injuring yourself, you find that your, your skin gets worse when you're exercising or you're putting on weight, that's a sign that you're either doing too much, yeah. doing the wrong type, or it's just not, you have to rest more um, right now. So back in the day, I was doing a lot of HIIT training. I also went through a period of time doing yoga, but... I was, um, I didn't know at the time, but I had um, joint hypermobility and that can go alongside muscle activation syndrome mm -hmm. and another condition called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Um, it's like a, a triad and POTS. So there's, there's POTS, there's muscle activation and there's Ehlers-Danlos. And I just found that I was getting severe knee pain trying to do yoga. And with my dizziness, every time I'd like drop my head yeah. to do a <laughs> yoga flow, I would just be like, going to pass out in the class. So I yeah. kept doing that. Um, but for me, uh, one, uh, for a period of time, just walking was more than enough. And I, I still love that. Getting outside is an extra benefit because you're getting the fresh air, uh, the nature, the stress management. So don't feel like you're not doing anything if you're not dying during the workout and like sweating and feeling um, really, really sore. 
the walking for most people is more than enough and you can still push yourself with that but you're getting so many other benefits so I, I don't do any hit anymore my body does not like hit and I'm obviously biased with the types of clients that I work with because they have hormone imbalances, but I really don't see it being a good fit um, for most people. Even if they do, though, it would be a particular time of the cycle, probably early on in the cycle. So as the periods finish and as you lead up to ovulation, so for a couple of weeks after your period, it might be okay though, but probably no more than like twice a week, three times absolute max for a short period of time less than 15 minutes and really don't push yourself too much if you're exhausted and didn't sleep well the night before. But then the other half of the cycle, our body doesn't know if it's pregnant or not. So we really have to slow things down. It's kind of like the the waiting time. Um, It doesn't know if it's pregnant. So you have to kind of slow down. It's more sensitive to stress. It's a little bit more insulin resistant. So dialing back the intense exercise and focusing on more restorative. um, pilates yeah strength training but just more rest more break maybe lighter weight not Mm. as long yeah when i'm on period i'm always like more slow and respectful uh, regarding my body and i think Mm -hmm. you should try to uh, listen more to your body but previously when i was on the pill and for anyone who's listening who's on the pill you might not notice any dramatic fluctuations throughout the month because your hormones are just flatline you're taking a synthetic pill and synthetic hormones but your natural hormones are flat. So in the month, a woman who's not on the pill or any hormonal birth control is having these nice fluctuations, which changes our personality, our energy levels slightly, our, our libido, everything like that. So I didn't, I just felt the same the whole month Yeah. when I was on the pill. So I could just push it every single day and I was making myself sick, but I couldn't, I couldn't tell. But now my body really tells me when something's working mm. or, or isn't. And even though... I'm not training as much as I was in the past. And sometimes I'm like comparing myself and I don't feel like I'm working out as much. When I do push it too much, I will get more inflamed. My skin will break out. So I'm like, okay. So keep the balance. Exercise isn't everything. It's still a stress on the body. So Mm. stress is really high from other things. And you're trying to heal and you're doing a detox protocol and you're doing this histamine diet, then it may be that you actually need to exercise less, not more. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) Which your, your doctor would probably never say. They're always like, more exercise is better, eat less food, and that's all you need to, all you need to do um, for women. But I'm often telling people to eat slightly less healthy because they're getting to this kind of obsessive, really restricted phase, and they're not leaving the house and eating it with their friends. And I tell them to exercise less because they're doing like something every single day and it's too much for the Yeah, the like sometimes, you know, the usual American typical uh, what I eat in a day or yeah. like a big smoothie of so many things for I the know. digestive system. So it's can, it can be very complicated after a heat workout. So, yeah. I, I cringe with some of these like YouTubers and things. Every now and again, I check in like what they're doing. But they it's very funny because they, well, not funny, but they'll be promoting all of this stuff like, oh, I eat this and be like me do what I do and then the next year they're like I've got an eating disorder like my hormones are trashed and I, <laughs> I'm seeing a, a naturopath because I just don't feel well yeah exactly I'm like you've been promoting this to all of your your followers yeah it's yeah. so bad so we are going to end this episode with rapid fire questions and those are okay. more general questions if you had to keep one book which one would it be oh <laughs> I haven't prepared for these <laughs> my mind goes blank um I have just started reading one I think it's might be 
beneficial for some people out there. I haven't mentioned it too much on this episode, but it's called The Body Keeps the Score. I've got it behind me if you want the author's name. Yeah, don't worry, um, we can find that. The Body Keeps the Score is all about trauma. And I've had to really educate myself on trauma because I grew up with like a really great childhood and I never thought that I had any issues. But trauma is a big term. There can be the extreme things that everyone's mind goes to right away, like abuse and neglect and rape and um, seeing a parent die. But then there's these little T traumas, they're called. And that could be growing up with um, a parent who has depression and you just observe that as a child or not having any friends or moving around a lot as a child or being humiliated as you do a presentation at school. That is traumatic, especially things happen under the age of 12. It affects your subconscious mind. And with clients now, if they're not healing and improving like I expect they would be, then I'm always um, asking them about the trauma. And sometimes they know they know it, they've just been suppressing it. Other times they have to dig a little bit deeper and work with the therapist to find out what it is. But even having health issues for so long, that's been, been traumatic for me and a lot of my clients, not being believed by doctors, being told it's all in your head, being isolated, for years, just with my parents, not like losing a lot of friends, not going out um, in my early adulthood, like my prime years, I was like sat at home going to bed at nine o'clock and not eating out or anything like that. So trauma is a big one. So that book is all about how trauma lives and is stored in the body. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <And> yeah. <laughs> if you to talk therapy, that's not enough. You have to clear the energies out of the body. So I'm only partway in, but it's so interesting. Even generational ancestral trauma, things that our parents, grandparents, and so on have been through, it's crazy. So, yeah, yeah so interesting. Go to. So, yeah. nothing on hormones or, or history, unfortunately. Yeah, um, no, yeah. But, yeah but it is linked. So, today. yeah. <laughs> What practice can we all add to, your, uh, to our daily routine? More quiet time. And oh. I've been told this myself <laughs> because. <laughs> I, I'm working with a therapist, so I think everyone should go to therapy at some point. And she was just saying, even though my work isn't super stressful, I'm not like killing myself trying to work a million different tasks every single day. She just said like your mind never switches off. I'm always thinking, even with my health in the past, I'm always thinking like what is next or what's wrong. And she just told me that I need to, my homework is to literally lie down in the middle of the day for 20 minutes and not meditate just just let the thoughts come in and let my brain think and do what it wants to because now I'm just like onto the next task onto the next and I think social media plays into this as well so I'm like dopamine hit like scrolling and getting all of this information and my brain is just like on overdrive right now so I think everyone could probably benefit from that and just kind of slow down and tune in a little bit more and Yeah, just listen to what your body's telling you. <laughs> the best breakfast? For me, because everyone's different. I've had a smoothie pretty much every day for years. I just love it. I love starting the day with a drink. Um, it's quick. I can pack a lot in. And my type of smoothie is not like a fruit bomb, um, million ingredient smoothie. I was previously dairy free for a long period of time because it would exacerbate my acne. Now I have dairy because I heal my gut. I've cleared parasites and my gut's just a lot healthier. So it's got raw milk in there. So unpasteurized um, milk. I have a 
I have a um, pea protein powder. So I, I don't have another dairy protein. I find that whey protein does cause my breakouts, uh, but raw dairy is totally fine. So it's got a vanilla pea protein in there. It's got blue wild blueberries. It's got cinnamon. It's got some cucumber, some ginger, and some tiger nuts just for some extra fiber and diversity with plants. And yeah, I have that every single morning and it's switched a little bit as the years have gone on. But I, I just love that. It's just easy and I, I look forward to so it So yummy, day. yeah. <laughs> um, what would you say to your younger self, like 18 years old, you? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Wisdom I could time. say like, don't do what you're going to do in terms of the workouts and the restrictions and all of that. But I don't regret doing it because it's... Yeah, it, it is linked today. to what you are becoming now. Yep. So. so maybe it would be more around like, why do you... Like, don't be so obsessive with things. So, like, go to the gym, but maybe go, like, three times a week and just do, like, a half an hour class instead of two-hour back-to-back classes yeah. five times a week. Yeah, so, yeah like slow down and just know that everything happens for a reason and there's going to be ups and downs, but what you learn from it will benefit you in the long run. Oh, yeah. I love this question. <laughs> that's a good question. Well, where can we find you? Yep. So I'm in a lot of places. Um, I had a podcast myself. It's on a little bit of a break at the moment because I run it weekly for about three years. And that's called Hormones in Harmony. There's so many episodes, 150 episodes on all sorts of things, on skincare and hair loss and PCOS and exercise and trauma and histamine, a few on that, a lot of mold exposure, parasite infections. So it's a range. Um, so that's Hormones in Harmony. Um, you can watch the videos on YouTube, the audios on Spotify and iTunes or my website. My website is vivanaturalhealth.co.uk. So V-I-V-A, natural health. And on there, you can find more about working with me. So I do offer a free enrollment call just to see if we would be a good fit to work together. And we could talk through kind of what that would look like. Um, and there's a free resources and free download section on my website too. Some really helpful guides on things like um, coffee enemas and non-toxic living. Uh, so I keep a, a diverse range of freebies on there for everyone. And then Instagram and social media, so Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok is at Viva Natural Health. And on there, I just share my my day on Instagram stories. Um, TikTok's really fun. My mold one actually went viral, which I'm like, oh my God, like the most random one I could have made. Um, <laughs> with the symptoms of mold exposure, it just kind of blew up and there's like 1.2 million views on there. So <laughs> I had some people like, you're not a doctor, like mold doesn't exist, it's not harmful. And then other people are like, this is so true. I have all of these symptoms and all people just hearing about it for the first time. So with, with even what I said today and with some of the things I share on social media, I don't ever want to like scare people because when it comes to mold, it's affecting your home, your family. Um, it can be expensive to remediate or, or make changes. But I want people to be aware of it. For some people, it's not an issue at all. But for some, at least, no, at least you know about it. So if you don't resonate with it and you're feeling good, then ignore. But even if it helps one person to recognize it, then mold can be a root of everything else that they're dealing with so that's my my goal yeah so important i'm glad we are we we have been talking about that so thank you so much vivian you're welcome thanks <laughs> chatting with you again this has been fun i really hope you enjoyed this episode if you did i would love for you to leave me a rating and review on your podcast app as this helps to support the show 
and it allows it to reach more people with this valuable information. Come and say hi over on Instagram. I'm at Viva Natural Health. And if you haven't already, check out my website, vivanaturalhealth.co.uk for tons more free resources and to discover how I could support you further. I currently offer one-on-one -on -one consultation packages if you want my top level support, then more affordable group programs and self-paced online courses. So there really is something for everyone. If you're ready to change and get some answers but aren't sure which option would be best, take that first step today and apply for a free enrollment call on my website and we'll discuss the best steps for you to take in order to achieve hormonal harmony. Enjoy the rest of your day and I'll see you back here next week for another episode.